0: Hello, and welcome back to the Baseball Trade Values Podcast. My name is Joshua Iverson, and I am the Associate Editor of BaseballTradeValues.com, joined, as always, by founder and owner John Bitzer. John, as as you just said to me before we uh, hit the record button, it is silly season. (laughs) How's your week been treating you?
1: Oh, it's fine. You know, we still haven't seen enough real action in the trade market yet, but we know there's a whole bunch going on behind the scenes. Um... Meanwhile, it's very hot, at least in New Jersey. So I'm staying inside as much and on my computer a little too much.
0: I'm, I'm biting my tongue. I'm doing all I can to be that guy who goes, oh, yeah, you think that's hot? Like, I live in Arizona. It's 115. Uh, <laughs> it's actually actually a little bit chillier this morning. I think it rained overnight. Um, but it's a dry yeah, heat, Josh. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got uh, humidity. We...
1: Yeah,
0: I, I couldn't, couldn't stand that, couldn't live with that. Uh, we have a, another pretty fun episode planned today. Uh, we're going to talk more Juan Soto, because how could we not? Uh, we're going to talk Luis Castillo. We're going to talk some of the news and, and updates from the last week, week and a half or so. Uh, but first, I wanted to take a quick peek at some of the bubble teams. Uh, we talked about them, some of them last week. And before that, I included a handful of them in my trade deadline primer post with the, the the very large caveat at the beginning that this is going to change you know these these teams a lot of them you know a handful of them might stay in this kind of bubble territory but a lot of them are going to kind of pick a direction and they're either going to start winning some games or losing some games and it's going to look a lot more clear by the time we get to August 2nd Uh, so we're still a little bit more than a week out from the trade deadline but a couple of teams have already started to pick a direction uh, not not necessarily (laughs) in, in a good way for all of them um one team that i want to start with that i actually didn't include in that article as a bubble team uh, because they were holding a playoff uh position at the time and it seemed somewhat comfortable um and i actually got a comment on that piece saying hey these these guys should have been listed as a bubble team and it's yeah in hindsight that's looking it's looking very accurate it's the boston red Sox. uh they have been struggling they have been injured Uh, they they I believe yesterday they they had to sit uh, Rafael Devers and JD Martinez. Plus they just lost Chris Sale for another couple months at least. Uh, it's not looking very good in Boston. Now they're only three games back of a wild card spot, but in their last ten they're two and eight. That's not ideal for this time of year. And they do have a lot of players who could be interesting if they did decide to sell. I know our friend Robbie Hyde is banging the drum for them to sell pretty hard. Um, right now they're at 48 and 47 as of Sunday morning. So they're kind of right on that cusp. And I think the next week is really going to play a role in that. But yeah, there's some, there's some impact players there that we can talk about. Uh, where where do you think things are trending for them right now?
1: Well, they're obviously trending down. And you know, sometimes there's like that one bellwether game where you just go, oh, that's it. That's the death knell. And that was obviously that Friday night game where they lost, you know, the Blue Jays scored four touchdowns out there, I maybe mean, oh my god. Um and the Jaron Duran play, of course, which everyone uh, you know, unfortunately for his sake but got a laugh about. Um yeah, that was like a weather game that sort of signifies where they're at right now. And then there was another play that they didn't make the other day. So um it's starting to look like they're they're kind of a mess, frankly, with the injuries, with with the defense, with the record going downhill. Um uh, but at the same time I don't think they're there yet, um like if you look at FanGraphs and their and their um playoff odds, they're at twenty eight percent and that's not like single digits that's twenty eight that's you know between you know uh a fourth and a third right so like there's there's hope um on the other hand, I think heim bloom the g m is more of a guy about like sustainability and he's very much a realist, and he's like if it's not their year, he might cut his losses and start to sell some of these players um so i don't think they're there yet i think they're going to take a few more days to really decide on a direction and they've got a few more days obviously they've probably got a plan a and a plan b and the plan b is sell plan a is wait and see so you know i think that's where they're at
0: i think their situation is really unique just because of how insanely competitive that division is this year um Baltimore is still at 500. (laughs) They're they're still playing pretty well. I believe they beat the Yankees yesterday. Um, The Yankees are the Yankees, of course. There's no chance the Red Sox are catching them. But Tampa Bay and Toronto are holding two of the other wildcard spots. So every division game, and there's obviously a whole bunch of division games left down the stretch, but every division game that Boston plays is going to be competitive, and it's going to have a meaningful impact on the wildcard race. So I kind of get the sense that in that situation, you can't just tread water, right? Because if if we get to the deadline and Tampa Bay adds a piece or two, Toronto's loading up, you know, Baltimore doesn't sell as much as we had anticipated coming into the year. and, And you're still looking at some really, really competitive games down the stretch. Can you afford to just, you know add a Steve C or, or whoever, and, and let it ride. I, I think you have to either, I'm not saying they need to go all in. I'm not saying Soto to Boston, put it down in pen. Uh, but it, it gives me the vibe that you have to do something more than just, you know, Oh, we'll, we'll try on a couple of these low end rentals. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know, if you, if you actually want to be serious and they probably should try to be serious, uh, if they think they can win, this is Xander Bogarts last year on the roster. I mean, I guess theoretically they could extend him, but that hasn't gone well to this point. Plus they signed Trevor Story with kind of the idea that he could shift over to shortstop since he's a better defender than Bogarts. Um, So if if this is your last year of Bogarts, you should at least be pushing some chips in, right? And, And the Red Sox have such a deep farm that they can afford to make like a mid range acquisition. I don't know, a, a Frankie Montas or getting involved in the Luis Castillo sweepstakes. Um, I, I think they could afford to do that without totally mortgaging their farm. And the plus side of both of those guys is they have an extra year of control and that lines up with uh, Rafael Devers's uh, window of team control. So it, it feels, I, I, I definitely see that it's a time bloom and He's definitely a more laid-back, a more... uh, He's not going to make any dramatic... uh, What's the word I'm looking for? (laughs) Emotional moves. Um, But it's it's a unique situation, and I don't think just kind of treading water will help them at all. I I think they kind of have to pick a direction and and go for it.
1: Yeah, I mean, they hired him as the anti-Dombrowski, right? Because, you know, Dombrowski made a bunch of deals that overpaid for stars and some have worked out some haven't um and so (laughs) bloom is a more of a long-term sustainability guy to your point um very measured in his approach um so but if you look at sort of where their position is relative to the other wild card players not only do they have a 28 percent chance according to fan graphs but they've got to pass um (laughs) a few teams and so you got to ask yourself is that gonna happen I mean so you figure the Yankees are gonna win the East that's one one of those central teams is gonna win obviously that either twins White Sox or Guardians um so that's one Astros have got a lock on the AOS that's three so you get three wild cards according to fan graphs you got Blue Jays at 93 percent the Rays at 71 percent that's two and so the third one is really between the Mariners who are at 66 percent the White Sox let's say if the Twins win are at 47, the guardians are at 36. So you got to pass the Mariners, White Sox and Guardians to get that last spot and the Red Sox are at 28%. And if you just I know that Fangraphs have done the math, but if you just use your common sense, you think oh, that might be pretty hard. Um you know, and they're factoring in strength of schedule uh, as well. And then if you look at the injury situation and you know how how the guys are performing and Avalti just came back and had a terrible night the other night. So I don't you know you got to think is even if you do like patch a couple of holes, are you really going to get very far in the playoffs? Are you going to pass all those other three teams just to get in the wild card? And then are you going to actually do something in the playoffs? Is it worth all of that? Um, I doubt it. So, you know, I think they're going through all those. I don't think they're quite there yet, but I think they're going through all those discussions.
0: Yeah. And all of those numbers that you mentioned are with the rosters as currently constituted, you know, not factoring in any, additions that might be made between now and the deadline so I mean you look at the White Sox we talked a lot about how they don't have a ton of firepower Uh, maybe in 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 the the months since then their farm has improved a little bit but it doesn't sound like they have a ton to move they might be making some of those more marginal moves uh, targeting rental types to fill gaps in their roster that seems like where they might be Uh, but Cleveland we're going to talk about them a little bit uh, more later on this episode Uh, they are loaded (laughs) and they could uh, there's already been some rumblings that they're going to make a little bit of noise this deadline and they absolutely could they have too many prospects they're not going to be able to fit them all on their 40-man roster uh, to protect them from the rule five draft this upcoming offseason they almost need to (laughs) to consolidate need to make moves I mean they could wait until the offseason do it then you know the usual flip a rule five guy for a slightly less talented not rule five guy who's maybe a couple years younger Uh, they they, they definitely will make some of those moves in the off season but there's an argument you know the spot they're at right now they could make some upgrades and then you look at the other teams there i mean tampa bay is tampa bay they're uh, they're also going to be measured in their approach as they always are we could see them making some of those creative raise-esque moves probably not selling the whole farm or anything but Toronto's in a spot to be really aggressive. They just missed the playoffs last year and they're not letting that happen again. And Seattle, they're in the midst of a huge playoff drought. They are in exactly the spot where they should and and they're getting their young talent ready uh, closer to the bigs. And maybe they're a year ahead of being in that actual push a lot of chips in kind of spot, but it's Jerry DiPoto we're talking about. So we're not, I'm not counting them out of being aggressive as well. And so you have to keep up not not only do you have to pass these teams that are either ahead of you in playoff odds or just ahead of you in the standings you have to keep up with their additions as well and so i don't i i have my doubts over whether the red Sox can really do that and whether they really want to do that right now and so in my opinion if they don't then see what you can get for Bogart, see what you can get for J.D. Martinez, for, for some of those other pieces you're willing to move, Christian Vasquez. I, I believe in the offseason it was reported that they uh, looked into moving him, upgrading at catcher. Well, maybe now's your chance. I mean, I I think that should be under consideration. Obviously, you know, they win every game the next week. It's a completely different story.
1: Well, so let's look at it from our values point of view. Though uh, Vasquez has no value. In fact, he's a little bit negative. JD Martinez has no value. He's he's a little bit negative as well because of his contract. So your only big chip really is Bogarts, unless you start to dive in a little bit deeper. And you know, he has got a couple million in in in, um, <coughs> in surplus, but really it's Bogarts. You know, uh, you're not gonna you know you're not trading Whitlock or Hauk or some of these guys with lots of control, right? So it's just. You know, then you got to figure out what's the market for Bogarts, you know, at this at the deadline is, you know, is there a team that really needs a shortstop? Or maybe you plug him in. He probably doesn't want to play second the way he his mind is. So is there a team that needs an impact shortstop? Maybe um, there's that, like, one, so but then, he's
0: not going there. Yeah. So like, <laughs> New York.
1: Yeah. Right. So so then you think, well, if there isn't a team that needs an impact shortstop, is it worth even bothering? You know that's part of the calculation as
0: well. Yeah, it's it is really difficult with him not being, you know, not being a likely shift to second base kind of candidate. And you know, we we've heard stuff about that before. Maybe things could be different uh, with a different team and in, in in a playoff right race. Maybe he'll say, okay, I'm fine with this for a couple months, but when I hit the market, you know, kind of kind of Javier Baez esque. Uh, not that Baez was ever you know so staunchly opposed to moving off shortstop but he moved to second base for the mets uh but then went right back to shortstop in free agency um could see something similar with bogarts i guess in which case he'd be a fit for i don't know the white Sox. they they've yeah. haven't gotten much uh production out of second base uh there's probably a couple other teams in that mix as well um, you
1: know the cardinals were there since they mm-hmm. sent Dejong down have been kind of band shortstop so maybe that's a, that's a fit
0: but they just put so much emphasis on defense, especially infield defense with their yeah. pitching staff. I don't think they would I, I don't think they would roll with Bogarts at shortstop. Um Fair they point. they've <laughs> Tommy Edmond is like top ten in baseball and war because he's been playing insane levels of defense right. and with a right. with a league average bat. I think they really enjoy that. Um but yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, it's the Red Sox. They have some cash. They can always eat some of the money on Vasquez or Martinez to get a little something in return. But you're right. The the only way they're getting anything of substantial value is Bogarts. And there's not a ravenous market for him. They, they would be in a much better spot right now if they had a, a Bogarts-esque pitcher, you know, a pitcher version of Bogarts to move. They'd be able yeah, to really right. capitalize on the market. But it's it's going to be tough for them. Um, I want to talk about a bubble team in the NL the Miami Marlins uh they're also trending down they, they had a like I think, believe it was 34 or 35 innings uh scoreless streak uh, that they finally snapped they they're just their offense is struggling their their pitching can only do so much if the offense literally won't score any runs um so it looks pretty clear that they're gonna be sellers at the deadline I mean depends how far um I I don't think they're going to just absolutely tear down or anything. They still want to win at some point in the next year or two. Uh, But they also just lost Jazz Chisholm for a while with a stress fracture in his back. Uh, It it seems pretty clear they're not going to be able to make a push here and some of their guys will be available. Um, Again, they don't have a ton. They got some of those marginal type guys like some team. I don't know. The White Sox would probably love Joey Wendell Um, if he's healthy. I'm actually not sure off the top of my head if he's healthy right now. Uh, but someone will maybe take Jesus Aguilar as a bench bat if they decide to move Garrett Cooper they'll they'll get a decent little return for him he's a quietly a very good player um, but beyond that I mean they're not moving Miguel Rojas they just picked up Jacob Stallings and it seems like they love him behind the place so they're probably not moving him either they got some bullpen pieces they can shuffle around Tanner Scott um, but yeah, it's another situation where they don't have a very clear cut trade chip that would just move them to the front of the market unless you're talking about Pablo Lopez. And I think you and I both agree that he's probably not going anywhere right now.
1: No, I think they just want to retool for next year and keep him around. Um, you know, we've talked about this, I think, in the past, but, you know, Rogers is not having a great year. So, like, you can never have too much uh, pitching depth. And that's obviously the strength of both their major league team and you know to some degree to some degree their minor leagues as well but i think there's um i think they want to go for it cause they've been itching to go for it for a while and if they traded lopez you know i think that would take a big you know a big player out of their 2023 hopes so i w- i don't see them doing that um but isn't rojas on his last bit of his contract so i could see them i could see them moving rojas actually if they throw in the towel I know he's kind of Mr. Marlin in terms of, you know, captain of the team or whatever, but, you know, why not? He's only got, you know, half a year left.
0: Um, I don't remember if they extended him, but it looks like he is under team control for 2023. Okay, my bad. I, thought I, I, I thought I vaguely remembered an extension, but I also thought it was longer than just the two years, so yeah, yeah. unsure. <laughs> All right. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, he kind of runs into a similar thing, though, as Bogarts, right? I mean, maybe Miguel Rojas in particular, since he is a pretty solid defensive shortstop, maybe he would be an attractive option for the Cardinals or the Yankees. Um, and, you know, he's got the versatility to play some second base, third base if they need him to. Um, but, yeah, there, there's just not a ton of a shortstop market right now. Uh, so maybe that even further uh, slows the Marlins from from itching to move him. Uh, one other name... That we did discuss discuss last episode and i just want to bring up one more time is the whole khalil watson situation uh i i I think it's far too early to really speculate on what they could do there if they do decide to move him but you know it could be something along the lines of the zach gallon for jazz chisholm type thing uh, just like a prospect for prospect challenge trade Uh, they could use him to get out from one of their sizable contracts uh, he could i mean his value has fallen so he's not going ex- like to completely clear you of a avasale garcia at this point but if they want to move on from him or jorge soler already they could use khalil watson to help them get there or they could try and flip him for a younger controllable major leaguer um it really just depends what they want to do and how other teams are looking at him with you know his struggles this season and and some seeming character issues uh so just just a name to keep an eye on there
1: yeah, I definitely think they want to move it, but everybody else knows that, and his value has tanked. He's down to four in our model, um, so it's not going to get you much. Um, and just, just to, while you were talking, I double-checked Miguel Rojas. You're right. He does have uh, he is under contract for 2023. Um, our numbers are right on the site. Um, I was just off the top of my head. I thought it was this year, but we're good.
0: Sweet. Thank you for that. Um, but yeah, it seems pretty clear the Marlins are selling. I, I hadn't realized that uh, Watson's value tanked that much. That is rough um one other team just to briefly mention because looking at the playoff picture i mean you have really a four-team race for two spots in the national league because the top wild card spot seems pretty clear it's going to go to either atlanta or the mets Uh, they're really duking it out for the division and and whichever one of them misses out on the division is getting the wild card spot it seems like uh then you got san diego st louis philadelphia and the giants san francisco Uh, and then a pretty big gap uh, to get to miami colorado arizona Uh, but then in the american league it's very crowded as we were kind of alluding to earlier it's one two three four five six seven or eight teams for those three spots depending on how you uh suss out the minnesota cleveland white Sox. uh they're also fighting for the division um so it's going to be highly competitive in the American League, and that means that the Angels don't have a chance. <laughs> they're they're pretty much done. They're, they're much closer to being the worst team in baseball than they are to a playoff spot, which is insane for a team that employs Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, but it's also kind of just par for the course for them. And now that Trout is injured and they said it'll be a little bit more, it looks like it's going to be more than just the minimum IL stint. That's not going to help them very much, so seems seems clear that they're not going to be buying uh, this uh this deadline uh we've already gotten our first few Shohei Otani rumors and at this point seems like they're not going to move him which yeah that that seems pretty obvious to me as well I've made that argument I I believe on last week's show that doesn't make any sense um but teams are going to call because why wouldn't they um but I, I think we are trending more toward a possible Noah Syndergaard trade um moving some of those bullpen pieces, but yeah there, there's there's not a whole lot to move there if they had if they had decent veterans that were performing and had some value then their team would be a lot closer to the playoffs so the stars and scrubs approach makes it kind of tough at the trade deadline because you're not trading your stars and nobody wants your scrubs so exactly. uh, they're they're absolutely not buying, but I wouldn't call them sellers just because they don't have have anything to sell
1: i think you nailed it i mean cinder is it pretty much ryan Tapera maybe uh, i think we've talked about him a little bit um you know so it's cinder and a reliever or two basically and again you're not going to move any big needles cinder are a rental t- you know with Tepera, i think is a rental as well um you know so that's not going to get you much and by the way you have one of the worst farms in baseball so <laughs> it's not like you're going to restock your farm now if you traded otani you could um but it sounds like they're not doing that um And I agree with that move, you you know, that's just, that's just beyond the pale. So even though he only has a year left after this, I think you got to try to extend him. Um, You know, it's not quite the right time to trade him yet. If the extension tucks don't work out, maybe in the off season, you have a serious, you know, um, think about that because that would be his last year. Uh, But right now it seems a little early, like not, not all of that I don't think is, is clear yet. So you're basically looking at getting a couple bucks for Sundergaard and Depera.
0: Yeah. Uh, my, my kind of argument with Otani has been so, so he made it pretty clear this last off season that he wants to win. I don't think he's going to pull a trout. I don't think he's going to commit himself to the angels unless they show that they can win. I, I think he's learned from that. Uh, and <laughs> from his mistake, if you want to call it that of joining the angels in the first place. Um, So I think the pressure is on this off season for them to really push any chips they have left, get a contender built around him. And then, you know, the timeline of it isn't great. They'll have to be competing. They'll either have to be negotiating an extension in season or competing in free agency with other teams that are going to be licking their chops at the chance for Shohei Otani. Um, But I I think that's just going to make the most sense. And if they, pumpkin again they do another they they pull a 2021 or a 2022 again in 2023 and they're they're out of the race at the deadline I think next summer is when we really start to entertain the idea of an Otani trade and it's it'll be I'm looking forward to the potential as much as I as much as I want to see Otani and Trout succeed together just from a, a fan of baseball perspective the the trade lover in me is salivating at the thought of the the, the Shohei Otani market um one other name I wanted to point out from that team that is that I've had my eye on is Aaron Loop uh there isn't a very strong market for left-handed relievers and he had a very slow start but he's bringing it back around he's above replacement level uh just barely (laughs) by by F4 and he's making a little bit of money so they'll probably have to kick in some cash and I'm pretty sure he's a little underwater uh but I could absolutely see him heading back to the Mets that's that's my that's my prediction. I'm not going to predict any other players to any teams, but I'm predicting Aaron Loop back to the Mets.
1: Fair enough. Um, I know we'll talk about it in a bit. But the, Mer- uh, the Mets just traded one of their young relievers, and they imply that they're probably in the market for another reliever, if not more than that. So I can see that being feasible. But just one last comment on the Angels. Um, you know, they've got two um, big contracts, right? In uh, in Trout and Rendon that are kind of you know taking up a lot of the budget and they're you know their owner doesn't seem to want to go up against a luxury tax and blow through that um and if they if they extended otani that's three big contracts which doesn't leave you a lot of wiggle room for other things and oh by the way your farm is terrible there's just nothing coming up from the farm so and adele looks more and more like a bust so you know what do you got you know what do you got to work with the two forms of capital are are prospects and and money, and if you're up against it, you don't want to spend any more money, and you don't have any prospects, then your situation is just not going to change. It's going to be like this for the foreseeable future. Like what 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 are they going to do? I, I don't I don't I don't see it.
0: Man, that Rendon contract is rough. <laughs> I just pulled it up. It's four more years at thirty eight apiece. It, I mean, it's killing. I know they kinda had to backload it because the first couple years of that deal they had Pooh holes and Upton on the roster still and, and making a fair bit of money. But man, that looks bad in hindsight. <laughs> it's
1: crippling them. Yeah. Um
0: I I I mean, I don't know. I guess they're only the only approach I see is is getting ownership to open up the books for a single year and just Throw as many one year deals and front loaded contracts as you can this upcoming offseason and, and see what sticks. That that's really the only thing I can yeah. come up with. But yeah. uh, we can we can circle back to that more in the offseason. Um speaking of the Mets, let's talk about the trade they did make. Uh they picked up first baseman designated hitter Daniel Vogelbach from the Pirates in exchange for young reliever Colin Holderman. Uh so we actually had um we had Vogelbach's Uh, contract situation incorrect in the uh, in the system Uh, we missed his he has a club option for 2023 that has a bit of surplus to it and so we missed that Uh, even even not counting that option we had it as a just a minor overpay for New York Um, we had Vogelbach at 0.6 and Holderman at 2.7 but once you factor in the option year Vogelbach Vogelbach excuse me jumps up to 3.1 and so it's right in line those two um which which seems to suggest that the dh market is is looking like how we expected it to uh there were some questions about that with the universal dh if those guys could see more value but it doesn't seem like they are um but yeah this is just a case of the mets jumping early they know they need a bat and now they don't have to be quite as aggressive for one i think they'd still like to add somebody a little bit better than vogelbach um kind of have vogelbach be your pinch hitter you know their their catching situation is a couple of light hitters so could be one of those you know he's he's your designated catcher pinch hitter guy he pinch hits for your catcher and then you put the other one in to finish out the game um (laughs) if if they acquired a a more a josh bell type at dh or jd martinez if he's available something like that Uh, but if not he does make a pretty solid dh platoon with jd davis i think so pretty solid depth move. It's a bit curious that they moved Holderman. He had been pitching pretty well for them, uh rookie reliever and and they do as you mentioned, they do need relief help. Um but I think that's that's as you said, it's just a further indication that they're going to be aggressive on the relief market. Um, and you know, if it's if it's they, uh, they've been very clear that they'd rather spend money than prospects and I guess they would rather move <laughs> MLB players and spend This is kind of an extension of that, right? Because they'd rather, uh, if they were acquiring Loop, for example, to, I don't know about, replace Holderman. Loop's a lefty, Holderman's a righty. Uh, But if that was kind of in their plans, a guy like that, then that's mainly going to cost them money to add a Loop. It's not going to cost them much in terms of prospects. So they would rather grab some veterans that are going to cost them money and some fringe guys and trade their big league reliever to get the bat versus trading prospects for... A guy like Vogelbach. Um Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so it absolutely. seems it seems pretty in line with their strategy right now is what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, and your running joke about Steve Sichek. Yeah, they might pick up him too, as he's a little underwater, but maybe still has some usefulness in him, but same with Aaron Loop. Yeah, those are the kind of guys they'll be looking at. Kind of veterans who are earning a little bit more good uh ish just enough that you don't you know, but they're slightly underwater, so you don't have to give any prospects for them. But they'll still help your MLB team for maybe two months, so you know that's that's what they're looking at. Um, but just get back to the uh, Vogelbach point. Um, that was my bad. Uh, I totally missed the option year, and there had um, and there's some surplus there. So once we realized that, I'm like, oh crap, um, you yeah, know. So we fix it, and that, and that is a very fair deal according to him. Our... So it wasn't our model's fault that we were slightly off in the first one. It was my fault. Um, so we're good.
0: I really like, uh, I know we just talked about the Marlins and I did briefly mention their bullpen. Um, I don't know specifically if they're a Mets fit, because as we're saying, Mets might be targeting more veteran types where all they have to take on is money. Uh, but just in general, I really like um, the Marlins as a seller for, for their bullpen. Like that, That's going to be an attractive team that teams with relief needs are reaching out to. Uh, Dylan Floro's kind of thrived for a few years as this just reliable middle relief type. Uh, Richard Blyer, like I said, not too many lefties on the market. Same with Stephen Okert, same with T- uh, Tanner Scott. Anthony Bass has been surprisingly very, very good. Um, I, I just wanted to point them out again, as I think uh, I think a lot of teams are going to do some relief shopping in Miami.
1: Yeah, no doubt.
0: Okay, just a couple other quick hits on news before we get into the meat and potatoes today. Um The Brewers signed Aaron Ashby to a five-year extension. Uh, He was one of their top prospects, came up, made it to the bigs. He's been just kind of okay. I believe the peripherals like him better than just ERA. Yeah, he has a career 321 XFIP, 382 FIP compared to a 486 ERA. Uh, He gets a lot of strikeouts, doesn't have the best command. He's kind of one of those, is he a reliever, is he a starter type? They're trying to make him work as a starter. Uh, throws hard from the left side, uh, just a just a solid player. And he gets a, uh, a decent contract. Uh, one of those, it's pretty much in line with what we usually see from guys this early in their team control that are uh, really just signing a contract that buys out those control years plus like an option or two. So it's going to be $20.5 million guaranteed over the five years and uh, a couple sizable extensions for two extra years after that, 2028 and 2029. Uh, could max out at it looks like 46 million total for these seven years so really not bad especially for a hard throwing reliever that kind of secure or excuse me <laughs> a hard throwing pitcher um who doesn't know if he's a starter or a reliever yet uh that kind of that kind of guarantee is is not nothing it's a pretty good deal for him and obviously if uh, the, the brewers have had a really good pitching development system going they've turned both Brandon Woodruff and Freddie Peralta into very good pitchers, not to mention Corbin Burns, who was absolutely horrendous in his rookie year and now is one of the best pitchers in baseball. So they know what they're doing with pitchers. I I bet they have some confidence that they can make Ashby a a reliable starting pitcher for them. And if they do that contract is a steal. Uh, But it's also just, just great uh, insurance, great uh, security for Ashby.
1: Yeah. You know, don't want to speak for him, but it's certainly a win for the team. Um, before the contract, if you just looked at his surplus value over the course of control, it was in the 40s, I think, or low 40s. And then I ran the numbers this morning. Even though we don't know the year-by-year breakdown, we know the total. So we can still run the numbers on that basis. And he's up to in the somewhere in the 50s, low to mid-50s. So they gained about 10000000 million-ish in surplus by our model um, by extending him. So you can see that it was worth their while to do so. And a lot of these young players want to lock in money now while they can, especially pitchers who often get hurt. So, you know, you can see it from his point of view as well. Um, still, yeah, he's still underpaid and he's going to be underpaid now that he's secured this. But maybe that's OK with him. Uh, but certainly from a team's perspective, it only increases their, their you know, their their surplus value of him. And the Brewers like to do this. like They had this amazing deal with Peralta before they turned him into a starter. You know, they basically just gave him a small amount of reliever money over a course of several years, and then he turned into a really great starter. Now, of course, he's injured, but that was an amazing deal for them. Um, so they love to do that, and it's another, another way of doing so. So good for them.
0: In comparing this to similar early career extensions, the, the one I'm thinking of right now is Scott Kingery. Uh, It's a little bit different for pitchers. In one sense, there's more risk because with pitchers, there's there's a higher likelihood of, oop, he threw a pitch the wrong way and his shoulder broke in half and now he's never pitching again. That risk exists and isn't quite there to the same extent for hitters. But there's also, uh, once you get past that kind of risk, I think there's somewhat of a higher floor on pitchers because even if Ashby doesn't quite work out, there's still a pretty sizable space there for him to be just a serviceable left-handed reliever. And like like you said, he's kind of getting paid reliever money, you know, 20 million over five years. If he is quote unquote, just a reliever, that's pretty market value. That's movable. That's not going to tear your team down, whatever. And of course there's the chance that he's just a, a stud starter and, and an absolute bargain. And comparing that to a guy like Kingery where, you know, he flamed out entirely, and he's not even really usable as a bench guy because he just can't hit. That's, that's, and it's, it's still not, you know, he's not absolutely hamstringing the Phillies. We've seen them go out and spend anyway, but it's, it's less safe in a weird sense. Uh there, There's just a little bit less floor to a hitter, and they're not, it's apples and oranges. You know, Kingery was extended before he actually saw a big league pitch, and so Had no real sense of whether he could for sure hit big league pitching versus Ashby. He's been in the bigs for uh, probably close to a full season at this point, uh, combining the two years, and he's been pretty solid. You know, like I said, the ERA hasn't been the prettiest, but he's missing bats and he's showing he can get outs at the big league level, and that's probably not just going to disappear overnight, Uh, but that relief kind of, that fallback of, of just using him in relief is... Attractive and it makes the contracts all the more safer for the Brewers Okay uh, Last little bit of news speaking of relievers um, the Yankees lost Michael King, unfortunately uh, He had a season-ending elbow fracture. He was so good this year. He, he and uh, And Clay Holmes really stepped it up uh, With some of the other Yankees relievers getting injured or just not being able to get anybody out uh, Looking at oldest Chapman on that last one uh, but the two of them have really stabilized the back end of the bullpen. And this just kind of further further realigns the Yankees' priorities. Uh, there's been a lot of buzz about Benintendi. And even, even more recently, even after the vaccination news came out for him, there's been um, continuing reports that they're still interested in him. Uh, there's obviously, be, obviously been the Juan Soto stuff, but it still just seems pretty clear that the Yankees really need to focus on pitching, both, both in the rotation and in the bullpen.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, who do they got? They got Clay Holmes and then a bunch of question marks. Um uh, Wandy Peralta is kind of a journeyman. The Weizsica has been hurt. Chapman's kind of done, <laughs> maybe. You know, so then they're scratching around. Hey, Albert Abreu, welcome back. Can you pitch? Uh, you know, Ron Marinaccio, can you pitch? Clark Schmidt, can you pitch? I mean, this is what they got to deal with, right? Um so I think this should be one of their top priorities. Now the other option they could look at is if they traded for a guy like Castillo, it might push down a guy like Tayon or even Cortez to the bullpen or Domingo Herman and maybe make one of those guys another reliever, which they've been known to do in the past. So um so I could see they definitely need more pitching, both Uh, on both sides. I think they need to up their game a little bit on the starting side so that they have a solid number two for the playoffs, and that looks like Castillo would be their target, um, which would push a guy like Tyone to the bullpen. But they really need a good, you know, solid reliever. And, um, you know, I think the relief market is going to be very active, so they'll definitely get someone, at least one or two guys.
0: Yeah, I, I, I still don't doubt that they could add some outfield help. I still really don't see Benintendi for a fit for them. Uh, but if if they think so, go ahead. I mean, he just uh, and there were reports that he would be willing to get vaccinated to join a contender, which is uh, <laughs> I don't want to go too far into it. But if you're the Royals, you're probably sitting there thinking, what the heck, you're not going to try to win for us, but you'll do it for someone else. Um, but but anyway, it, as I mentioned the last time he came up, Aaron Hicks has been really good. Like he's been a quality outfielder and yeah, you're going to want some insurance out there. But I I think they could they'd be better off with a depth guy maybe a Robbie Grossman type uh, who can who can fill in out there and and give guys rest and all that I just think that's a better fit for their roster than Benintendi specifically even even taking apart the the vaccination issue there and especially if they're if they just have so many other higher priority needs. Uh, Grossman's not going to cost you much of anything. Benintendi's not going to cost you a ton, but he's going to cost you a couple prospects. And you know, Castillo's going to cost you a fair bit. Relievers, you need a few of them, so that's going to cost you a few there. And I don't think the Yankees have never been too aggressive in the sense of just dump the whole farm out. They've always been pretty, at least in recent years, they've been pretty calculated about the moves they make and the prospects they decide to part from. So, uh, I I think. I don't know. They they obviously still could go for Ben and Tandy, but I just don't think it's it's their top priority right now, and I don't think it should be.
1: You know, keep in mind Hicks is very injury prone. He's had a lot of wear and tear, so yeah, he may be on a little bit of a excuse me, resurgence. But um, you know, and Stanton, they've been playing in right field. He's obviously had a lot of injuries in the past, and even he admitted today that yeah, he's a little banged up, but he can do it. Like you know, he probably should be their DH. So you kind of feel like from a just from a traffic management perspective they could use another outfield. From a lineup perspective, they could use another left handed bat, especially a contact guy, high average guy like Benintendi. Um Gallo they've clearly like soured on and I think that ship that has sailed and they're just trying to get get rid of him for whatever they can. And so you can see sort of some bench pieces moving in and out here and there um and and you know I think a guy like Ben does fit them. I agree it's not their highest priority especially after the king injury um but it's something I think if they're looking to upgrade a little bit here and there I think it's, I think they can do it.
0: I do follow a few Yankees accounts on Twitter and one of them made a very good point uh the other day just that obviously load management is going to be a, a big key down the stretch especially in that outfield as you mentioned hicks injury prone uh stanton hasn't been the healthiest judge has been very healthy this year and, and you know a lot of people called him injury prone and it was probably premature but he does have some some injury history and just with anybody that big that many moving parts it's going to be a concern uh, so those three guys you you can't have them starting in the outfield every day the rest of the season but the good news is the yankees don't need that they are cruising to the division It's really just a question of whether they get the one or two seed, and it seems likely they'll get one of those and and get that first round by. So, I I mean, I, I just feel that priority should be more of a bench type guy, and it's okay if you're using Benintendi as a bench guy, great, like as kind of a super fourth outfielder where, you know, he is still starting a lot, but he's not. You know, one of your top three necessarily. Like that's that's great. I, I just think they'd be better suited in saving a prospect and going for more of a traditional bench type guy there. um Because oh, excuse me, I didn't. <laughs> I'm beating around the bush. The point that the Yankees account made was just that when you get to the playoffs, your starting outfield is Hicks, Judge, Stanton. Like that's it. You're not you're not playing the load management games once you get to October. That's when you're. Those are your starting guys and you can you can really debate how much of an upgrade Benintendi would be over those guys Uh, obviously not over Judge or Stanton but over Hicks and so it's just how it's just about how they want to use their resources and maybe you know maybe a market for Benintendi just doesn't really develop and they can get him on the cheap and sure that's a quality addition And, and I do agree with your point that he's a much better fit for what their lineup is missing than a guy like Gallo was last year, where it's just another another swing and miss slugger. Uh, Benintendi's a much better fit for what they kind of need, in, in that sense. I, I just wonder if their resources might be better allocated elsewhere. Fair point. All right. Speaking of that, uh, and we mentioned Luis Castillo's name a lot. Uh, there was a piece in the Athletic that we want to talk about. Uh, it was written by C. Trent Rosecrans, who's excellent writer, excellent reporter. Uh, it was about Luis Castillo's trade value, nine proposed deals for the Reds right-hander, and I really enjoyed this piece. Um, he took a really interesting approach to it, uh, went kind of around the uh, around the athletic, uh, reached out to a bunch of the different beat writers for teams who might be interested, uh, kind of discussed with them what their package would be. He also did shout us out, did use <laughs> did use baseball trade values to kind of check the values and, and included that with each. Uh, with each proposed trade. And he checked with Keith Law, who's the kind of prospect expert over at The Athletic. And, and uh, I, I don't think Keith Law is necessarily my most trusted uh, prospect source. Uh, he, he's, he has some guys that he's really right on and, and some other evaluations that leave you just kind of scratching your head. Uh, but I, I really love the approach here. you know, First, getting the perspective from from the beat writer who knows the team well then checking the the prospect guy who's, who's seen a lot of these players, the, the prospects, and, and you can kind of gauge them that way. And then checking the hard math and seeing if all three of those things will line up. I really enjoyed this piece. It'll be linked in the show notes. Uh, but yeah. we're going to go ahead and run through this and see what kind of proposals people came up with. And thankfully, because of the approach to this, Uh, c trent rosecrans did my work for me (laughs) i don't need to go in and pull everybody up in the simulator like i usually have to do for these articles uh he he put the numbers in the article for me so so thank you c trent um we're going to start with the atlanta braves from david o'brien and the proposal is left-handed pitchers kyle muller and tucker davidson uh, for luis castillo we have luis castillo at 41.2 million in median trade value and this offer totals fourteen point five between Mueller and Davidson and Keith Law. Very accurately decided on this where on this one that it's nowhere near enough, and I very strongly agree.
1: So does our simulator, and and just want to echo, great job Trent Rosecrans for taking this approach, and 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 this is exactly what we I think in my view should see. And I'll, obviously, I'm biased, but we're sort of, a, a lot of people have told us we're sort of a, a proxy for what the market might be. And so, and, and most of these beat writers don't do the math. They know the fits of their team. That's their strength, but they're not experts in the math and the trade value calculations. And so taking this approach, I think, balances that. And, and then, and I do like that they've, obviously Keith, got, Keith Laws, they're in-house guy at the lab, so they got to use him as opposed to, long and hanging there somebody else but um and he's he's a little bit you know um he's mostly there but he he, he can be a little bit okay, iconoclastic i think is the word where he has his own opinions Um, uh, but absolutely spot on on this one it's nowhere near enough david o'brien by the way is the guy who last year said jose Perez to the Braves would only require camargo and to and Tuki <laughs> you know two guys who have since been you know, DFA'd or benched. So um, yeah, and David's not the most uh, well-known, sorry if I didn't mean to offend David, but he's not a trade value guy.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and I do want to confirm uh, what what you said there about, you know, this is kind of what how you believe it should uh, the, the site and the model should be used. The very first phone call I had with John when he was telling me, yeah, I'm going to be starting this site and I want your help with it and this is what it's going to kind of look like. On that very first call, first time I ever talked to him, he was essentially saying this is where he wanted it to end up, you know, like, (laughs) like, obviously, a huge aspect of it is just that the fans can hop in, post their trade proposals on the board. That's obviously a huge part of the site. Um, But this was always one of the goals was, you know, to have it as a resource for these reporters to use because... And I don't blame them. I I was there as well before the site where you're kind of just playing a guessing game. You're kind of trying to line up the fits as far as like a player perspective and a timeline perspective. And you don't have the numbers just all in the back of your mind. So you're just kind of feeling it out. And from the beginning, one of the intents of the site and of the model and of the simulator was to, to be able to provide a little bit of a backbone to an article like this. And so, yeah, it's really great to see it this way. And I hope we see more like it. All right, moving on to the next one, Boston Red Sox. This is from Chad Jennings. The proposal is Tristan Cassis, Chris Murphy, and Jay Groom to the Reds for Castillo. Again, Castillo at 41.2, and that package is at 45.6. Keith Law says, I can't imagine the Reds would pass on this. Um, I have a feeling he's a little bit higher on that prospect package than the model is, but the model does agree that it would be a good deal for the Reds. I mean, it's not... It's not slam the button, take it no matter what before before the Red Sox sober up kind of deal. Um, and I think that might be what Keith Law is kind of thinking on this one. But it is absolutely, it's a pretty fair deal. You know, it's, it's a couple million extra in value going to the Reds. And, you know, you could argue that that might be fair. I mean, we've already built in into Castillo's value the potential for a bidding war. So that would probably be a little bit on the higher side than we'd expect. Uh, But it's a pretty fair deal. It's definitely right around the range. Um, I think you can quibble over whether Tristan Casas is a guy the Reds would be targeting as a centerpiece, or if they'd be focused more on pitching, or outfield, or middle infield, something like that, rather than just a guy who seems like he's going to end up at first base. But yeah, I think this is one of the better ones in the article.
1: Oh, great. Um, You know, um, Votto is, what, 38? You know, he's only got one or two years left, and he's obviously fading away in terms of his performance. Um, So you can see Kazas as being like their future first baseman and locking that down. Uh, And as a lead piece, I think it is a strong lead piece. And then the other two guys are sort of, you know, young pitchers with upside. Groom has sort of, you know, used to was a top draft choice, but he's had injuries and other issues. And so he's sort of got some warts now. Maybe he's a reliever now. Uh, I think Murphy has a little bit of helium, uh, the way people talk about him. So I think this is a strong package. I agree with you. I don't think it's like a slam dunk, but I think it's, you know, according to our our model as well, it's a little tiny bit of an overpay. So I think it makes sense to win a bit.
0: I do want to talk about the Reds pitching development. It's It's underrated, I think. They've done an interesting job with a handful of guys getting value out of you know, undrafted free agents or JUCO signs, stuff like that. Um, I know Kyle Bodie was, I don't know if he was specifically working for them or um, kind of kind of contracted with them or something like that, but Kyle Bodie of, of driveline fame, uh, he did some work with the Reds and, and clearly it seems to have worked. They've gotten a lot out of guys that they invested very little into. And so if that system is still in place, I, I know Bodie is no longer with the team, uh, but if that system is still in place and some of the things they learned from from him and developed while he was there, um, I, I like them as a team that could really uh, maybe get a bounce back from Jake Groom. Because like you said, he was formerly a very highly regarded prospect.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I I don't know. I have two minds about that. One, one, I do see the development of guys like Lodolo and a couple of the other young starters. They seem to be developing a young core. On the other hand, Uh, When Bodie left, um, he had some not-so-nice things to say, if I'm reading between the lines. And didn't they have Wes Johnson for a while? Uh, Like when they traded for Sonny Gray, the idea was to pair him up with his old pitching coach from Vanderbilt, Wes Johnson, who then also left. Um, I think he's with the Brewers now. Um, Or no, I think he's... He's with LSU. LSU, yeah, just more recently. Anyway, so he's not with Reds. So, like, it makes you wonder with that turnover. Like, is there like a solid development kind of program there, or is there not? Uh, but you do see some young pitchers coming up that seem promising. So there's that.
0: Yeah, uh, hard to see too much behind the curtain. All right, Los Angeles Dodgers, Fabian Ardia, Go Devils. <laughs> uh, the proposal here—it's it, another. <laughs> it's it's Ryan Pepiot who's been pretty highly touted as a uh as a trade candidate for them. He's probably their top available pitcher. Uh James Outman outfielder and Kyle Hurt uh who is a reliever, I believe. Yes. Um for Luis Castillo and Tommy Pham getting the Dodgers some outfield depth there. Um so that that's adding fam to castillo brings the reds package to 44.5 and the dodgers are only sending over 21.2 so you're missing a big piece there you're missing a miguel vargas in that deal basically um and keith law kind of agrees he said depends on what the reds think of pepio i don't believe he'll ever have the control to start and that would make this deal way too light for the reds so that's that's essentially where we are, except it's it's more of we're we're pretty confident, not 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 specifically. <laughs> it's not that we're specifically confident that Pepio won't have the control to start, but that is a risk there. There's he's not quite as highly touted to really be carrying a deal like this. Um, he he needs he needs some help over there.
1: Yeah, he's like you see him kind of as like the second piece. Like I'm not sure he's a strong enough lead piece. You know, to your point, unless there's like a Vargas or maybe there's like co-lead pieces and you can sort of say, yeah, that works out. Um, But it's not quite there as a package. We're about halfway there.
0: I think Vargas could be interesting. I know I just said that Casas, um, you know, as a first base type might not be their ideal centerpiece. Uh, But Vargas has a chance to play some third base or corner outfield or or Andy Pajes is a popular trade candidate. Uh, But one of those guys makes this a lot closer and i think it's pretty doable for the dodgers i think that's why a lot of teams have them picking up montas or castillo even if you know they're they're the dodgers their pitching is fantastic that's not necessarily i mean their their number one need is probably relief help but i think they they just have an embarrassment of riches as they always do and so they have a few of those guys that are in that kind of tradable range we've talked about that before where once a prospect gets like, you know, over 35, 40 million, it becomes harder to trade them because they're just such a, such a, a talented, such a valuable player and such a huge part of the team's future all of a sudden. Uh, but when you're in kind of the, the team's low twenties, that's like kind of the perfect tradable area to make an to get an impact player. Uh, and, and the Dodgers have a handful of guys in that range.
1: Yeah. And they seem to be, you know, growing them on trees. Cause you know, they just trade one or two guys every day every year at the deadline, Last year it was Josiah Gray and Keeper Ruiz, and now they got a, f- a few more coming up the ladder, and now they're in their twenties. So like, okay, <laughs> you know, they can afford that because it's just a growing tree.
0: Exactly, it's it's envious. <laughs> All right, we're going to the Minnesota Twins. Dan Hayes uh, Castillo's for a long time been kind of kind of ticketed to the uh, connected to the Twins, I should say, both Castillo and Montas ever since they started to. The Twins started to move some pieces around in the offseason and try to contend. And yeah, they could really use an arm or two. Uh, so the trade here is Spencer Steer, infielder, and right-handed pitchers Josh Winder and Simeon Woods Richardson for Castillo. Uh, so that package totals 35.5 compared against 41.2 for the Reds. So it's it's fairly close. It's missing a piece, but it's not it's not offensive, I don't think. Um, Spencer Steer has a lot of helium. He's, he's a definitely an interesting hitter. Um, Winder and Woods Richardson have seen their stocks fall, though. Um, uh, you know, there might be a concern there that either one of them can, are, 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 you know, a falling knife kind of guy. Um, so I think if you replace either one of those two, either with a more valuable pitcher or you replace one of them with another bat and add in an interesting, uh, interesting you know, maybe lower minors pitcher with some helium kind of a thing. Uh, I wonder if like Matt Wallner would be a good bat to add to this deal. Uh, but, yeah, I think this one's at least within striking distance, and Keith Law said, maybe I'm concerned by how hard m l b hitters have hit winder's fastball this year and what we can see about the shapes of his other pitch- pitches, excuse me, which might mean I was too high on him coming into the year. if this is really two relievers plus steer who has made himself into a potential regular with his breakout it's too light and yeah that's that's essentially what the values say
1: yeah, I agree um one note is um we've downgraded Winder just a little bit since this was published. Uh, because he's got another injury. And so I read that there was... He's had persistent shoulder... I think it's shoulder injuries. This is his third one, which is not a good sign. So we've had to dock him a little bit since this came out. So this is really now like 32 or so. 31, somewhere in there. So it is a little bit light. Um, And yeah, Steer's not quite enough. He's not quite there yet. He is obviously on the rise. But Winder is kind of struggling a little bit. And... um, you know, Simeon Woods-Richardson, you know, once upon a time was a top 100 prospect, but the consensus now is that he's probably a reliever, so he's in the single digits. So it's it's a little bit light. It's not the worst package I've seen, but not quite there.
0: I do think Woods-Richardson could be an attractive trade candidate, um, specifically for the Reds. We've seen them... You know, they they seem like they place a lot of value on upside and you know taking gambles on guys like this. I mean, it's not it's not a direct one to one comparison, but uh they they kind of took a chance on Chase Petty when they traded Sonny Gray to the Twins for him. And so I wonder if, if they're they're not quite the same player, or the same type of player or anything, but I wonder if Woods Richardson is a decent third or fourth piece for them. Uh, but yeah, the, the front end of this deal needs to be upgraded, especially. Yeah, especially if, if the shoulder is such a concern for Winder, plus even healthy, he's not exactly light in the world on fire. I think you you need a better pitcher in this deal or just another impact bat.
1: Yeah, one other point. Woods Richardson has been traded twice, once to Toronto for in the uh, Marcus Stroman deal, and then again in the Barrios deal over to Minnesota. So, you know, once it's fine, but when you start getting a seeing guy like Taylor Trammell was traded a couple of times, it's usually a red flag, like yeah we thought he was interesting but we changed our mind okay you can have him and it becomes kind of a hot potato so those tend to not be the greatest investments
0: and it's interesting you know there, there are obvious exceptions to that rule josh winchowski is looking pretty good and he was traded i think three times um but it really depends on like what direction the player is going and when they are traded and if yeah. woods Richardson were traded again, that's like a very clear indicator that yep we're we're right about his value it's absolutely tanking and and not not that there's much of a question there. he's obviously falling down falling off top one hundred lists, and that's the main source of where his his value is coming from and why it's it's dropping um but yeah absolutely he's. He's not the, the player he once was, not the prospect he once was, and if multiple teams are deciding, eh, we don't need this guy around anymore, that's that can be a very telling sign. All right, next team is the New York Mets, and they could really make a lot of uh, additions all over the diamond. Uh, they they have a solid roster, but it's they, they need to add something to it to uh, keep the Braves at bay. Uh, but this is from Tim Britton. The proposal... Uh, there's actually a couple proposals here. Uh, the first one is Luis Castillo for Ronnie Mauricio, Tyler McGill, and Thomas sapuki and the value on that one is 30 million compared to 41.2 for Castillo, so definitely low. Uh, the second proposal, you know, which I think is a lot more interesting, a lot closer, and I think something something the Mets might be interested in is Castillo and Mike Moustakas' contract, which is nearly 100% underwater. Um, for Tyler McGill, and, and so that's 13.6 million is Castillo plus Mustakas, or I guess you could say minus Mustakas's value, um, versus 10.2 for McGill headed back to the Reds. So Keith Law said McGill has next to no value right now with the shoulder injury. I think Mauricio has huge upside, but with high risk, and getting just him for Castillo gives the Reds too much downside. They've pursued safer names and other prospect deals. I would. I'd maybe quibble a little bit with that last line, considering what we just said about Chase Petty. Uh, you don't get much less safe than a high velo high school pitcher. <laughs> um, but yeah, I for for the first deal, Ronnie Mauricio is a guy whose value has fallen, and I don't think a lot of people have picked up on it. Uh, he just he's climbing the minors and hasn't been developing the way that he was expected to. He's still not hitting all that well. He's he's a league average bat in his second try at double a and you know he obviously brings a lot else to the plate he's got some speed he's got some defense uh but the hit tool has always been a question and it doesn't seem like it's coming along as he goes through the system he's only 21 he's still got some time but the clock is ticking a little bit there so he's not quite as valuable as he once was um and then as far as the second proposal goes it's just a question of how much more, more money are the Reds motivated to cut? And are they willing to really tank their return for Castillo by tying it to Mike Moustakas' contract? I, I, I don't think they should, but I'm also not pulling the strings there. I'm not in charge of their budget year to year. And if ownership says, do whatever you can to get out front of this contract, then they might have to do something like this. In which case, I think the Mets are an excellent fit for it because they've shown, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, a clear willingness to eat money rather than give up prospects, and th- this would be very attractive to them. And a lot of the other teams that want Castillo couldn't quite do this. I mean, Dodgers, yes, Yankees, yes, but everyone after that would have some trouble taking on Moustakas.
1: Yeah, I don't like any of these deals, um, nor does our simulator. I mean, yes, the Mustakis deal on paper is pretty close, but it doesn't seem like very in the cards that they want to save Money with attaching Moustakas to Casillo. I think that was an off-season play. And then they got down to their budget goal, and so now the play is let's get prospect capital, let's get some, let's restock our farm a little bit. You know, the farm is not bad, but um, they could definitely either obviously a rebuilding team. So I think their priority is to get young talent, and so a stock, a, attaching Moustakas is not going to do that. So I think that one's out. <clears throat> so then you're down to an underpay by about 10 or 11 million in the first offer and mauricio you know is the obviously lead piece in this but it's hard to get excited about that as a lead piece to your point just looking him up at Fangraphs, he's hitting 247 with a 280 on base percentage and it's below league average and he's repeating double a and that is not a good sign (laughs) yeah and even though if you take a closer look he only had eight games at double a last year he was promoted from high a and even at high a it was the same thing 240 Two average, two ninety odd base percentage, ninety four WRC plus, ninety three the year before, uh, which was the last full year of two thousand eight. He's been a below average hitter basically for four out of the last five seasons. So like you know, really everything. So I don't think, in fact, you know, he's probably due for another downgrade. Um, from the looks of things, he does have some power. He's hit sixteen home runs. Um, so, but he's looking like you know, a swing and miss guy. He doesn't walk at all. He's got a four percent walk rate. It's not a guy you want to lead with for Luis Castillo, is my point. I think they can do better.
0: Absolutely. And I also don't think Tyler McGill, Tyler McGill, excuse me, is a guy the Mets are really pushing to trade. Obviously, it has its perks. I mean, he's out right now, and who knows how many more innings he gets by the end of the year, because he still hasn't started throwing yet, and he just had a, uh, or he might have by now, actually, this is an old report, but as of as of july 11th he hadn't thrown since being shut down uh, with a shoulder issue um so he's probably not in the mets 2022 plans and he's you know not a traditional like prospect type and they've tried to hold on to their prospects so maybe he's a guy who's attractive to them for them to move from that perspective hey it doesn't really hurt our farm and it doesn't really hurt our current roster sure why not um but A, you know, other teams can see that he's having shoulder issues as well, and he kind of has a track record of some injury issues, it seems like. Um, so that's going to hurt his value a little bit to other teams. But also, he was looking like a pretty interesting pitcher. Um, ERA wasn't the prettiest either the last two years, but his peripherals are a little bit better, and he's always been very successful in the minor leagues. So he might be a, a, an interesting part of the Mets' like, mid-term plans, like, you know, the next couple years. Um, especially as we've discussed at length they're losing chris bassett probably losing jacob de um, losing carlos carrasco and taiwan walker uh, all of those guys are free agents at the end of the year and max scherzer is not getting any younger so they really need pitching depth like that and i know you know in this deal they'd be getting castillo who has a second year of control which is pretty huge uh, for those reasons and it's cohen it's the mets it's not out of the question for them to just hand de grom a blank check or or whatever but I think pitching depth is kind of important for them next year and next couple of years after that. And I think they have something interesting in McGill and might not be ready to give up on him quite yet.
1: Yeah. I just want to echo that. I think Keith law is going on one of his a little bit too, too far the other direction when he says he has no value right now. Um, I know I disagree with that uh, because to your point, he's had some success both in the minors and, you know, when he first came up with the Mets. And there have been lots of teams who have traded for injured pitchers. The A's come to mind. They've done that a lot. And it's worked out, you know, more or less okay for them. So, you know, and you can't say, oh, my God, he's at zero just because he's injured right now. Because then you're going to have a very volatile model when he comes back and he's fine. Or when he comes back and even if he's not fine. But there's something there. And maybe he's, at the end of the day, he's a reliever because there's a floor for a reliever there. I mean, it's not zero, right? So... You know, we we have it at 10, and, you know, that's with a lot of the upside and the risks kind of balancing each, each other out. So uh, I really take issue, and it's not just against Keith Law, but a lot of people say, oh, he's injured, he's not tradable. That's not true. Injured players get traded a lot.
0: Yeah, definitely. All right, next one is the New York Yankees. We've talked a lot about how they seem like a particularly good landing spot for Castillo. Uh, this is from Lindsey Adler. And she has Oswald Peraza infield prospect, Randy Vasquez pitching prospect, and Miguel Andujar for Castillo. This comes out to 23.7 million total, which is about 20 million short of Castillo's value. And Keith Law said, "I think this depends a lot on what the Reds think of Vasquez. He's got a wide range of outcomes, and I know, but I know some scouts who really like him and see a future mid-rotation starter. If the Reds see that, they'd probably do this. Uh, we disagree. <laughs> our, our model disagrees pretty strongly on that one." Um, at least Lindsay acknowledges, quote, Andu trade value is low. Um, but it's it's not just low, it, it's it's negative. <laughs> it, he's making a little bit of money down the stretch, and we have him projected at basically zero field value. Uh so he's he only brings the package down a little bit, if anything. And Oswald Peraza is a is a decent prospect. Um he's he's a guy who I've seen it. You know he's he's been in trade uh, proposals and rumors all month, all all season really, uh, because the Yankees have Anthony Volpe at shortstop, who's a much better prospect, and uh, they they want to make some additions. Peraza has some value, and on the surface he's not having a great year at Triple A. Uh, but he's been very very good the last couple months at Triple A. He got off to a very slow start. Uh, But he's worked his line back up to 99 WRC plus, you know, league average. He's got power, he's got speed, he's got a good glove. Um, He he was kind of initially a glove first glove only kind of guy, but it sounds like the bat is kind of coming around on him. Um, He's definitely an interesting player and I think some team is going to be pretty happy that they picked him up. Uh, but he's just not enough to be the only significant piece in a Luis Castillo deal. It, it's kind of like the Dodgers one. Like you're missing another either true headliner or kind of co-headliner uh, to go with him. Uh, Vasquez, I believe he's the lowest ranked of, you know, that little clump of Yankees pitching prospects that everyone has being traded, the Ken Waldachuk, Caden uh, uh I think there might be one other name I'm missing there. But he's he's the lowest valued, lowest ranked of that bunch, I'm pretty sure. And you know he that that just makes him you know he's an interesting third or fourth piece and yeah I think the Reds will want to get some pitching back and and he's definitely an interesting prospect but they're they're just missing a piece here for sure they're missing something substantial.
1: Yeah no no question Andujar is definitely not it I'm sorry Lindsay I like you but I don't think this is this is he has no trade value whatsoever to your point in fact it's a little bit negative um, there's a reason why no one wants him otherwise he would have been traded by now um you know the Yankees sure are obviously not playing him um okay so and Vasquez you know what we do in our model is we aggregate expert opinions and you know it's about it's a bell curve there in to to Keith Law's point on Vasquez there will be a wide range some will like him a lot some won't and so we're sort of splitting the difference and averaging it out to some degree um and that's where we're, we're netting at he's not that valuable um you know and peraza i agree is not the greatest lead piece you know you want to see a top prospect just destroying the level he's not destroying the level he's barely average at the level and he's if you look at his track record he's been sort of that way his entire career you know one uh, obviously unscientific thing that a lot of people like to do is look at the ops and say, okay, knock off 100 points. So if you look at this, you know, when you transition from AAA to the major leagues. So his OPs on base percentage in slugging is in the 7s right now, about 750. He'd be like a 650 OPS guy in the majors, which is below league average in looking like a glove first utility guy. Obviously, that's not very scientific, but it gives you some idea. If he's barely average at the AAA level, he's going to be below average at the major league level in terms of his offense. That's not the most attractive league piece.
0: Yeah, and that really—I I know we're talking about Luis Castillo right now, but uh, just, just while we're talking about the Yankee shortstop prospects, you're not—you're—I just want to make it very clear that you're not getting Juan Soto by leading with uh, with paraza That that needs to be clearly said. Stop trying to keep Anthony Volpe if you're getting Juan Soto. You're trading Anthony Volpe. Okay, and end of short rant. Um, yep. But with Randy Vasquez, uh, we got some. I forget was he originally reported as being in the Joey Gallo trade or was I, he just kind of rumored around that time or
1: It was a bit of chaos. He I think there there was one report that had him in it. Um that's what you're remembering. You're not wrong, but I don't know if it was one of the credible ones cuz there were some incredible ones that were floating around as well, so I can't remember.
0: Yeah, I just remember his name coming up and some Yankees fans being you know, not not maybe not the nicest <laughs> and saying like oh, if you think his value is that low, then your model is worthless, like that kind of thing. Yeah. But he's just, he, he's hes a 40 future value on Fangraphs. It looks like he's kind of a two-pitch guy who doesn't have the best command. Um, you know, at the time, last year, he he was pitching very well in high A and, and A-ball, which, yeah, I get it. Uh, but he's moved up the minors and he's hitting some struggles he's not bad but he's not lighting the world on fire and he's going to be 24 by the end of the season or not the end of the season he'll turn 24 this off season Uh, he's going to need to be protected from the rule five draft Uh, it's yeah it's not he's not lighting the world on fire he's not a can't move guy he's not a i don't think he's even a double digits value kind of guy uh don't uh, Yankees fans stop getting married to very average prospects
1: (laughs) yeah exactly
0: Uh, all right San Diego Padres uh, or this is taking longer than expected let's let's move through this San Diego Padres Dennis Lynn they he has the Padres sending Robert Hassel Ryan Weathers for Castillo and Nick Senzel so it would be 42.5 million uh, between Hassel and Weathers 48.1 between Castillo and Senzel uh keith law said it's a no-brainer for cincy he, he would be shocked if the padres dealt hassle um that's not quite what the values say the values say it's a little light um i think law might be just completely dismissing senzel here um yeah he, he still has some value you know he's struggled to stay on the field and he definitely hasn't panned out the way he should have or he was expected to as a prospect but he still has some value he's a, he's a major league player uh, and and I don't deny he's probably a pretty good fit for the Padres given all their injuries and he's got a little bit of flexibility. uh But this one just comes up a little bit short, you know. I I think that's the main spot where Keith Law is missing. Although even removing Senzel, it's a pretty close deal. It's pretty fair, and he's calling it a no-brainer. So I think he might also just be higher on hassle than than the model is, because uh, that that seems like what he's mentioning here. He didn't say anything about weathers but uh in, in the kind of the write-up um by dennis lynn uh, it says he's plummeted back to earth he's currently languishing in the pacific coast league he's still only 22 with lots of club control um yeah weathers is he, he's not a, a non-prospect and he's not he hasn't lost all his value and, or anything but his stock has definitely fallen a little bit uh but yeah i think i think in general on this one keep law is just a little too high on hassle Uh, and that's probably the the main holdup high on hassle and not fully considering Senzel but otherwise you know I don't hate the framework here I'm not sure if the Padres would be going for this I think they might have other needs they would put ahead of Castillo but I I don't hate this one
1: yeah I'm with you I don't think it's the greatest fit for the Padres because they if anything they have too many starters and they might actually move one Uh, now I know that contradicts what I said earlier about you know the Marlins and you can't have too much pitching but at least, you know, I don't see them buying another starter, I don't, unless it's to prevent the Dodgers maybe from getting it. That's the only thing I could see. They tried to do that with Scherzer last year. Um, but from the Reds' point of view, I think they would like Hassel. I think he's an attractive prospect. He's not the most perfect. He's got some holes, apparently, in his swing, the more you read on him. Uh, but he certainly, you know, it looks like he's a future, at least regular, uh, if not superstar, and I think the, the Reds would be happy with him. And I think if he were the lead piece in this with a minor piece, you know, and and that was it, and they didn't have to give up Sincel, then this would be fine. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I don't see it from the Padres' point of view.
0: Yeah, Ryan Weathers is, uh, he's having a rough time down there. I know, I know he's in the PCL, and I believe the Padres AAA is El Paso, which is a, a pretty hitter-friendly park. I know most of the PCL parks are um but yikes man he's he's got a 683 era and 17 starts uh 5.98 strikeouts per nine 4.16 walks per nine 1.6 homers per nine that's really not good you you don't that's not what you're looking for if you're ryan weathers oh okay san francisco giants this is andrew baggerly um little disappointed i mean i guess it works a little bit better for the article (laughs) that it's baggerly and and not uh grant brisby because grant brisby has used the model in the past has has used baseball trade values in the past and you know it's probably not as fun if if he's checking his work on there and then c trent is checking his work again you know that kind of thing um but uh, andrew baggerly came up with a, a pretty rough one here he has them trading Helio Ramos straight up outfield prospect for Luis Castillo and even worse Keith Law says sure unexciting perhaps as a one for one but Ramos is a very likely regular with some ceiling beyond that and he'd be under the Reds control for six years uh, our our simulator very strongly disagrees here it has Ramos at 11.5 compared to 41.2 for Castillo um, and I, I was even looking at Ramos's numbers. Um, The other day and he's not performing he's he has a 66 wrc plus in triple a this year 66 (laughs) that's not good and yeah he's a little young for the level he's not 23 yet but this isn't to knock your socks off trade him straight up for a year and a half of an ace type guy you know he hasn't he's just not that exciting of a prospect he's got a lot of swing and miss in his game he's not a plus defender He's got raw power, but that's kind of it. And right now he's not getting to it very often. He's he's a hitter and he's not hitting. So it's, yeah. this is way off. Very, very bad proposal. I can't see how anybody would look at this and think, sure, go for it.
1: Now, for Luis Castillo with another year of control after this one, are you kidding me? You're going to give a, 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 a guy whose stock has fallen, who's, who's struggling even to hit now? I mean, that, and that is your only piece? You think the Reds would take that? Oh, my God. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, look, a lot of these writers, you know, and this is the Jim Bowden thing where he thought, oh, yeah, it was a high draft pick. And then and then just sort of left it at that as if that was the sole factor determining his, his value. Um, it's not. You have to see how they develop and how they're doing now. Um, and his stock has dropped tremendously. So. Boy, oh boy. Um, Yeah, (laughs) this one makes no sense. Even in in the write-up, it's like, yeah, well, he's hitting two twenty six. I mean, how do you justify that in a hitter-friendly league as the only piece for Luis Castillo? I don't get this one at all.
0: I think I'm coming to the conclusion here that Keith, Keith Law might not be too off on all of these prospects. I think he's just way undervaluing Castillo alone. Like, that seems like the common thread here. You know, he said the... Tristan Cassis one and the Robert Hassel one both of those looked kind of fair and he said they'd be like no brainers for Cincy they'd be slamming the accept button before before the other team could stop them like and he he thought the Yankees proposal worked out with Peraza and Vasquez I think he's just randomly way too low on Luis Castillo and I mean yeah I get he's a prospect guy uh and Castillo's not a prospect so maybe he's just off there but man it's weird like he's valuing luis castillo like he's either a rental or you know a back end arm or something and that's clearly not the case this guy's excellent and every team wants him and there's really no alternative you're you're really taking a significant step back in terms of performance and or injury risk when you jump down to montas or tyler Maley. so it's right I I think he's just completely off on Castillo and that's what's causing all this.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point.
0: All right, last one here. Toronto Blue Jays, caitlin McGrath. Uh she has Blue Jays sending Jordan Groshans, shortstop and right-handed pitcher Josver Zulueta to the Reds for Castillo. Uh that package is 18.1 million and Castillo's at 42.1, so yes, very off and keith law said fairly sure the reds would do this with zulueta emerging as a potential starter now that he's fully healthy no <laughs> um in in caitlin's little blurb she said you know number one prospect gabriel moreno and number two ricky tiedemann look untouchable to me i think that's totally fair uh gabriel moreno is i, I believe he's more valuable than castillo in the model um and he seems like a guy they, they really have in their long-term plans or would be moving for a much larger piece than Castillo. And uh, Tiedemann is really ha- has a lot of he- helium this year, and so I could see them wanting to hang on to their top pitching prospect there. Uh, but I think you've got to add more to this for sure. You know, sh- she mentions it would it's likely going to take one of Jordan Groshan's or Aurelvis Martinez, who are their number three and four prospects per Baseball America. I, it probably takes both and maybe a little bit more on top of that actually especially because Groshan's his uh his stock is falling I I think Baseball America is higher on him than some of the other publications uh he's not hitting for any power this season I'm pretty sure um I'll have to double check that but he's made it up to AAA and he's like kind of stalling out a little bit yeah he has one home run in 250 plate appearances that's not what you like to see from a guy who's probably ending up at third base. You, you want more than that. Um, and I think the issue that Caitlin runs into here is she's modeling it after the Jose Barrios trade. And people fall into that kind of pitfall a lot. Like, we've we've discussed a lot, um, especially, you know, let's take the A's for an example. Uh, the A's made a couple deals this offseason where it was four guys it was the main headliner an interesting second piece and a couple like fringe you know potential fifth starter reliever guys or lower level pitching prospects or whatever they they followed that format for both the Matt Olson and Matt Chapman trades and so it, it seems like a kind of format that they like they like to kind of you know spread the risk around uh, raise the floor of the deal kind of by at least getting a guy they feel you know they got a Kirby Sneed who they want to be a decent lefty reliever for them and even if the other pieces don't quite pan out, they at least get that out of the deal. Uh, so that seems like a model that they like, and it's it's fair to kind of model some of their other trade proposals for a Sean Murphy or Ramon Laureano or Frankie Montas. It's fair to kind of model it after that framework, uh, but you can't get too married to that framework idea because then you end up doing something like this where, you know, yeah, I, I don't deny that Castillo could return a similar package and a similar framework maybe that the Blue Jays are willing to give up uh, as they did for Barrios. But Groshans is nowhere near as valuable as Austin Martin was at the time. And Zulueta is nowhere near as valuable as Simeon Woods Richardson was at the time. So you, you can't just match up one for one. You got to consider that, hey, maybe this player just isn't quite as good and we need to add more onto it. Even if we we would really rather stick to this kind of arbitrary framework, uh, there's, there's a gap here and you need to be aware of that.
1: Yeah, so Gross Hands is not the kind of guy that you would use as a lead piece for Castillo, at least from the Reds' point of view. He's not even a top 100 prospect. He's kind of stalled out. Um, you know, he had some helium a couple of years ago, but not so much anymore. Um, and you know, I think they've probably discussed trading him in other deals, and it just hasn't quite panned out because he's lost a lot of stock uh zulueta obviously his stock is rising but he's a 24 year old rule five eligible guy yes he's jumped a couple levels this year he's pitching well Um, uh, but not like lights out well i know you know there's some scouts who like him i know the guys at baseball prospectus have talked about him a bit as kind of like whoa watch him um but it's a very small sample size you know there it really he didn't he hadn't pitched before 2021 he pitched one game in zero innings and 2021 at all so this is really his first full year of pitching and and so sometimes people say oh yeah shiny new toy before thinking too much about it um now he's just you know reached double a it's not like he's the second coming he's got a 4760 era it's obviously a small sample size but show me more i mean the scouting community is not going to like lift his stock unless you know he shows a lot more consistently when you compare him to some top pitching prospects who have the track record they've been developed they show the development in each level blah 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 you're pretty sure that okay that's a solid prospect this one is a little iffy so you can't really say he's going to carry a lot of the weight that gross hands doesn't carry in this model he's a kind of a third piece at best so you're missing a, a top piece but i know looking at the blue jays farm you know if they're not trading moreno or tiedemann they don't really have a top piece martinez has been struggling as well So then you're looking at sort of, you know, mixing and matching quantity pieces, you know, and the bottom line is, I just don't think there's a fit with the Blue Jays. I really don't. I mean, maybe throw in Nate Pearson, but he's been struggling and he's a reliever going forward, you know, so then again, you know, maybe there's a a touch of upside there, but you're really stretching now. So I don't think the, the Blue Jays just quite have, don't have the pieces to get Castillo.
0: Yeah, and I'd say they could shift to Tyler Maley, but he's got a bit of a home run problem, and I don't think that fits Rogers' center. So maybe Frankie Montas, but I know they also, you know, are looking into outfield help. I'm pretty sure, and there's a couple other uh, maybe relief help is is going to be their number one target. So uh, a starter would be more of a luxury to get some innings away from Yusei Kikuchi because he's been pretty bad. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I just don't see a good fit with them for Castillo, um, Zulueta has all the looks of a guy who's just going to be a reliever and i mean obviously if there's a chance that you can get a guy to start you want to try it and it's still so early in his career and maybe a lot of this is he's working his way back i guess he missed the entire 2021 season with a torn acl and that's why he didn't he only pitched the one game uh and so he's still working back from that still getting his getting his workload back up but he's 24 and like you mentioned, he doesn't really have any innings under his belt so you wonder how built up he's going to be, how long it'll take him to get built up to a real starter's workload. It looks like in most of his starts this year, he's gone three or four innings, uh, and he's a big strikeout guy with, it seems like, two pitches and some command issues. That's that's a reliever to me, and it could be a decent one, and he could be in the big league soon, but if you got that much relief risk with a guy, he's not going to be piece number two in a, in a Luis Castillo deal, unless piece number one is something really good, and Groshans isn't that. All right, well, that's all of the Castillo proposals from this article. I mean, it's it's probably fairly close to the usual hit rate <laughs> of an article like this, where, you know, there's a couple that line up pretty well and then a couple that are, like, missing a piece or two and then a couple that are just way off. Um, so it's not not too far off from that regard. But uh, once again, really just love the format, love the concept by uh, C. Trent Rosecrans of, of mixing the individual beat writers with, Keith Law's prospect opinions with the values and really getting a full picture of how each of these proposals look and how realistic they might be. Um, really, really love it. Would love to see more of that from him and from other writers. So uh, like I said, it'll be linked in the show notes. There's a ton more in this article, uh, some background on Castillo and, and much longer blurbs on each of these proposals. Uh, so plenty to go check out. So so go ahead and, and do that.
1: Yeah, I and I want to just echo that. I've, you know, I've mm-hmm. seen worse in articles but what frustrates me more is that there's no fact checking no cross checking no you know no other sort of opinions cited other than hey the beat writer but there's no indication that the beat writer knows what they're talking about in terms of trade value they know their team and their fit but they're not trade value experts they typically don't do the math so this format i think really works well obviously we're biased that we were included in it but the you know just from a general sort of fan point of view if you look at a lot of the comments on this piece they agree a lot of the readers say, yeah this is a very balanced piece so good job trent so i'd love to see more of that
0: likewise all right i know we're coming up on time here would you like to just talk juan soto for a few minutes i know we're absolutely going to be talking more next week and, and leading up to the deadline here because He's the guy, but I figure we should at least talk about him for a few minutes uh, on this one. Yeah, I mean,
1: so the latest, is Ken Rosenthal said, you know, the Nats are looking for four or five uh, top young players, you know, either prospects or guys with very little service time. So maybe just having broken into the major leagues. And, you know, if you do the the sort of detective work, you know, as we like to do, you think, okay, if it's five, four or five guys and they're top guys, they're probably... You know 30 to 50 to 60 ish in the range you can add that up and it's probably pretty close to our value so that seems to validate that the fact he also said that they're not negotiating right now they're just taking offers and and then you know if it doesn't meet their price they're like okay move on you know because uh, they don't have to so they feel like they have a lot of leverage right now obviously it's a process obviously that could change as they get closer to the deadline they might rethink it um but right now they have every right to play hardball and say this is our price meet it or go home and that's what they're doing
0: yeah i still you know i'm i get a little bit more concerned with every rumor that comes out because i went pretty hard on the record saying that nope juan soto is untradeable not happening they can't trade him right now and then all of this happened (laughs) so every every little rumor gets me a little bit more concerned that i'm going to be eating my words on that one soon but i I still feel fairly confident that he's staying put for now i don't think any team is going to quite meet the nationals price in in such a short time frame um but the real wild card of it all is the ownership angle and that's something that literally nobody except for maybe current ownership in the front office of the nationals nobody knows what's going on there because it's about the sale of the team right and you don't know what the new owners are going to want. Is it, are the new owners going to want this issue resolved? Juan Soto either extended or off the roster. Those are the two options. Are they going to want as much money off the books as possible? You know, kind of encouraging the, the team to tack on a Patrick Corbin or if they can, Steven Strasburg, or or are they willing to to hand Juan Soto a blank check when they buy the team? Like, we don't know that mainly because we don't know who the new owners will be and I don't think the Nationals do either and so it's just a matter of of what they decide is the best move for that and that's not something that we know so it's hard to gauge what sense of urgency there is to move him what sense of urgency there is to include a contract uh, like Corbin's or, or Strasburg's in the deal there's really no way of us knowing that right because new owners depending on who it is could want very different things uh, from from the team that they're buying so it it just makes it really hard to gauge and it seems like the kind of thing that everyone would be better off if we took our time and dealt with it in the off season and yes you're going to be missing out on a full playoff push of juan soto which is very valuable and and yeah his value is going to go down if you wait until the off season but as i argued in in the piece it maybe comes down to a level that teams are actually able to meet <laughs> because right now the vast majority of trade proposals for Juan Soto that I've seen include Patrick Corbin to, to pull down the contract about val- uh, the the trade value, excuse me, into a range where teams can actually meet the price without trading everybody. Right, and that's, and yeah. that's, that's something that's uh, we've seen reporting both ways of whether they want to do that or not. In my opinion, again, it depends very much on what ownership wants. If the new owners do want that contract on, then you kind of just have to do it. But in my opinion, it doesn't make baseball sense because why are you if you're moving Juan Soto, who's under control for the next 2 years following this one, you're not going to win any baseball games in those 2 years. You're not building a contender in 2023 or 2024. If you were, you'd be keeping Soto. Uh so so if you're trading him, then what's the pressure to get out from a contract like Corbin's that only pays him in 2023 and 2024? Why are you trying to free up money for those years if you're going to be bad anyway? It's not like you're freeing up money to make some free agent additions because you're not going to be doing that other than, you know, some of those marginal Nelson Cruz types that you can flip at the deadline for prospects and I just don't get it. it would make more sense theoretically if they were using Soto to get out of Strasburg, but I don't think anybody's biting on that one. And that just tanks the return so much that I don't think it, it's, it's worth it. But yeah, I I don't get the trading Patrick Corbin angle unless they get a package they like. And, you know, it's going to be hard enough for teams to put together a package that equals 130 million of trade value and, and feel okay. Pulling the trigger. So if that's the kind of thing where they're just topping out at 130 140 million and you say okay, well, maybe this isn't the best we could get for Soto right. Uh, maybe this is the best we could get for Soto right now and it isn't quite fair value for him, but you know, might as well take this now because we think his value in the offseason is going to be lower than 130-140 and by doing it now we can also get rid of Corbin, which is just nice to do. Does that make sense like Yeah. I don't think it should be their primary motivation yeah. at all in here. It's the kind of thing where, like, Hey, if we can get them to do that too. Great. But otherwise they should be pushing for as much pure prospect and young major leaguer talent as they can and not dragging it down with dead money that doesn't really hurt the team too substantially over the next couple of years.
1: So, okay. Two, two points here and they're hopefully big ones. Um, let's, let's just play this out from an optionality point of view. Uh, option one Save as much money as you can and clear the books before the sale. So that means attaching Strasburg and getting virtually nothing back. That's clearly not realistic. I'm just posing that as the one extreme, right? But you could clearly get Strasburg's money off the books, assuming he agrees to it, and and then you'd say to the new owner, "Hey, I got clean books. Yeah, I've got Corbin's bad money. but you can handle that. But otherwise, we got Strasburg off, and um, and we got you know you, you know fairly light payroll for the next couple of years." Great, And also no Strasburg um, deferrals going on to 2030 or whatever they are. Great. Clean books. Okay. So, but we got no farm and no players. <laughs> so, um, that's one extreme. The other extreme is you trade Soto for players only and you get all of that capital back and you're sitting pretty. But the new owner says, well, you still got Strasburg on your books and you're paying him until 2030 or whatever. And you got Corbin on your books and eh, those are liabilities, right? So then you say, okay, yeah, that's good, but we certainly rebuilt our farm with that soto trade. Um so in between lies the happy medium, I think. In between is, yeah, you built up your farm again and you got rid of at least one bad contract. Yeah, you're still stuck with Strasbourg, but okay, maybe we can live with that. So then if you extend that thought to, okay, the new ownership at their highest level, they're looking at what are your assets, what are your liabilities? It becomes a big business thing, right? You know, and they're looking at Everything, you know, media contracts and stadium and all the other stuff. Uh, But if you just focus on the players and, you know, the baseball operations group and how much it costs to run and what players you have and how much money you're selling for tickets and all those things, you're losing Soto's sort of marketability, right? And so the ownership question is huge because you kind of want to know, like, which form of capital is more important to them. Is it the money or the players? Because those are the two forms of capital. you know but the thing that i sort of keep coming back to is soto is a declining asset you saw two weeks ago when we had his value in the 190s just two weeks of time cut it down to 176. next time we make an update it's probably maybe in the 160s so like that's because of time it's not because of him it's because of time is eroding his his value because you're losing control so from that standpoint. You say, okay, well, we had Soto in the 190s, but we didn't trade him. Now he's in the 160s, and then at the end of the off season, he's going to be maybe 130, and so you're losing value from your prospective owner standpoint. So, in that sense, the clock is ticking because you're—that is the one thing that is a, a declining asset. The other things are not. So, I can see that well a little bit, but I can see them kind of playing it that way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think those are—I <laughs> think you're right. Those are good points. <laughs> um. Okay, is there anything else we want to touch on? I know you mentioned to me um, just, just looking at a couple of the teams that theoretically could put a package together for this. I, I know we've discussed that at length, but I think you had some ideas that were interesting in regards to Cleveland and kind of killing two birds with one stone with some of their problems that they're going to be facing.
1: Yeah, so we talked about Cleveland. Uh, so I I was just sort kind of checking our our team prospect values. And Cleveland, and Mara Model actually has the most. They're the number one farm um you know there's been other graduations and you can make a case for the Orioles or whoever but but the, the guardians surprisingly have a lot of prospects a lot of prospects in double digits in particular and some that they're going to need to fit on the 40 so they're definitely going to make some moves <clears throat> now that i don't see them as being a player for soto necessarily but it's intriguing enough to say okay if so if cleveland has to move prospects much like the padres had to a couple of years ago um you know, maybe they move the, maybe they become kind of a partner in a three-way deal. I'm not sure with who. Maybe the Padres, um, maybe the Yankees. I'm not sure they want a partner with those clubs, but let's say they did. Um, you could see maybe some weird combination where, or the Mets maybe with their money. I don't know. Maybe not the Mets, but something. It's just in, intriguing to kind of play out a little bit. Cleveland moves prospects and gets, you know, a couple of major leaguers that they like and then somebody else gets flips those prospects you know to the nats and gets soto something like that i think is worth considering
0: yeah just just kind of a for one of these teams especially if you're looking at the dodgers or the blue jays where or even the mets where the front of their package would be a catcher diego cartaya or francisco alvarez or gabriel moreno and you look at the Nationals and they just traded for Keibert Ruiz and he seems like he's kind of the catcher of the future there. And you know you, you, you can't have too many catchers, you know. And it's not like Keibert Ruiz is necessarily right lighting the world on fire right now. Um but it, it, you see a situation like that and you wonder if the uh excuse me the, the the Guardians would be interested in consolidating some of their prospects into that catcher, you know. They trade two or three guys that the Nationals might like more. They send them to Washington in exchange. They're getting one of those young catchers. Um, and that's, it's not a perfect fit. You know, the, the Guardians have Bo Naylor, who's a top catching prospect. Uh, I think Brian Lavastida is an interesting piece. He's probably not a, a future star or anything. Um, but it's just, it's an interesting to see if, if that could play out and help them consolidate some of those guys that they're going to need to in the next year or two.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they always need another, maybe another outfielder as well. So, I don't know. There's something worth considering there. I'm not I'm not saying that this is by any means, you know, um, likely to happen. It's just fun to play around with those scenarios because they are the one, you know, or one of the top teams that do have the prospects to move and the motivation to move them. Um, and, but I don't see them going direct to Washington for Soto. So maybe they move prospects and somebody else gets involved and, and gets Soto. So something like that, I would not be surprised at.
0: Yeah. Especially because they, they could obviously use Soto. Everyone could, but they're not going to lock him up long-term. They're not right. going to pay him. Right. And so their motivation for him is probably a little lower than some team that is willing to pay him that contract. So, and, and we know they've been no stranger to these three team deals. They, they've <laughs> pulled off a couple of them in recent years. Um, so yeah it seems like it makes a lot of sense there's also some rumblings about them potentially moving zach please so maybe that's involved in the deal somehow with the team that gets soto also getting please maybe i don't know maybe that's just too rich in prospects in general but yeah it, they're a team to watch for sure even if not in the soto race and and if they hang out or hang around the peripheries of it uh even if not that uh, they have a lot of things they could do and they're in a position where they could they could benefit a lot from some upgrades so i i have my eye on them for sure all right fun episode do you have anything else to add before we close out
1: um we are going to do one more round of updates to the major league values so look for that uh in next weekend the weekend right before the deadline so we're going to squeeze that in um now by my math at that point of the season will be about 63 percent of the way through the season so You know, the weightings in our model will reflect that. Um, So it's not like the the exact two-third. You know, it's not like every month there's like a third of the season because the all-star break happened and no one played and got a late start. So it's about 63% of the season at that point around this weekend. So we'll reflect that. And then so the numbers will reflect that. So it'll be an interesting. I don't think they're going to move all that much. uh, But some here and there. You might see a few notable moves here and there. And you might see Soto uh, move a little bit too. So keep an eye on that
0: absolutely and as a reminder deadline is august 2nd mlb decided to give me a birthday gift this year and i i appreciate it thank ah. you MLB. <laughs> so we're we're a little more than a week out from that so we'll, we'll have to sort out our programming schedule and, and get some more info on that uh, ironed out in the next in the coming days but uh expect a podcast from us sometime soon maybe next weekend maybe right after the deadline we'll we'll see exactly when but expect to expect another episode soon all right, so that'll do it for this week. Thank you all so much for listening. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to shoot us an email at baseballtradevaluesgmail.com or find us on Twitter at baseballvalues. Also, be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. We'll be back sometime in the near future to break down more news and updates and talk everything trade deadline. So until then, stay safe and enjoy what John calls silly season. Thanks, John.